0: Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Please take your ease and relax. Relax a little bit. Brain hack you real quick. Everybody take a deep breath. For all you teachers out there, you will be familiar with this. Smell the coffee. Blow out the candles. Familiar with that. When your kid's going crazy, "Ah!" smell the coffee out the candles so that you can rest and let your mind catch up with your, your brain and everything else. It's great to be here. Uh, let me compliment the praise team. Let me echo, Pastor, what you said. You guys are the hardest work in church I've seen. I've seen a lot of places. You guys work <laughs> <like> hard. <laughs> can I, can I pray for Sister Moe's about halfway through service. I pray she did not have an aneurysm. <laughs> Just help her, Lord the hardest working praise team so i i just my compliments to you i appreciate that so much and i i did it i did it poorly but i did it for a long time and i know how hard it is and so uh praise singers uh musicians just just amazing job amazing job and uh i won't monologue a long time uh i'll i'll kind of get right to it but i do need to say a couple things one appreciate the hospitality and kindness you've showed my family and uh, you guys have been so kind. Not just not just Pastor Mullins and the family, but everybody. Thank you so much for that. Great young people, great church family. So thank you for that. And uh, there are a couple creepers, though I would be warned. I was doing notes in my notebook today, and somebody's all reading my notebook. I'm not sure who did that, but... You know. <laughs> ah! Just kidding. Just kidding. Just, <laughs> I just couldn't help myself. Sorry. Sorry. Nobody on that side. It's always on that side. So, honor Pastor and Sister Mullins. We love you guys. We do. Elder, we appreciate your work here, your leadership here. Absolutely. Uh, honor and love you guys. And Dina really loves Sister Mullins and the girls. So, we'll stay. It's okay. Stay. No pressure. Sister Mullins, wherever she is, no pressure. You make Dina mad, we're out. But, you know, we're... Rob, <laughs> well, throwing the deuces and all that, right? Uh, we're, we, sorry, 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 sorry. Settle down, settle down. <laughs> so uh, we're, we, we I mean that, Elder. We love you guys, appreciate you, and uh, like we, like I said when we met at uh, the Chinese place with a big cow in the front. What is that thing? Anyways, that's it, that's it. So uh, we're in your win. We're in your win, elder. And we come loaded for, for bear. We're in your win, And we'll help you any way we can. You have, wait for it, a friend in me. Now, I will do the heavy lifting for the next few minutes. I, I mean that, right? I appreciate the work you guys have, have put into this, how hard you've prayed and worshipped. So please, please, uh, I say this everywhere I go, everywhere I preach, just sit down and enjoy the show. I'm okay with that. Right, I've done it a couple times now, and I, I do really, really, oh, look at there. Look at there, young people. I still got my ticket. Still got my ticket. So, I've done it a couple times, like I said, and so do just relax and enjoy the show. Let the Holy Ghost, let the Word of the Lord work on you, work for you, work with you. Just relax bit, and really rest a little bit, because about 15 minutes from now, we'll know if I got it right. 15 minutes if it's bad I'll quit I mean that right I I will quit if we don't get something going quick I'll quit but if we do get something going you'll know I'll know everybody will know and then we'll finish off and I want to finish strong and so I'm going to need you to help me then does that make sense? So if you just relax and enjoy the show and sit back and just kind of discern where the Holy Ghost is going, kind of discern what the Holy Ghost is doing. So that way, if I get it right, God help me get it right, then you will be ready to go, right? You'll be ready to get back in the fight, and I'll push, push, and then we'll get it done. Uh, also, please uh, pick up your cell phone. Most of you do it anyways through church. I'm serious about this. I know you guys are on it all the time. Hey, sis, put that down. Uh, See? No, just kidding. So, I mean this. I'm very serious about this. Dial this number. 530-282-7950. 530-282-7950. So, I, I, I offer this service for a couple of reasons. I offer it, one, because I generally cover topics or use phrases and terms that are, uh, or might be unfamiliar, right? I'm not the Jesus is coming back tomorrow guy. Right. You got a lot of those guys. Uh, so so I will probably talk about other things. And I'm careful and thoughtful about this because I realize I'm a guest here. I'm a guest in this pulpit. And so I don't want to destabilize anybody. I don't want to leave anybody in the dark. So if I've created any kind of question, just get out my digits, bro. And uh, I will circle back. I promise I will. And I will it's anonymous. I won't say like. Sister Christie, why are you, no, I won't do that. I'll just, if you got, if you got a question, I'll just, I will try to circle back because I want to be an effective communicator. I want to make sure we're, we're communicating clearly. So please do that. And also I will put myself on a clock. I will. And once I get to that, that time, uh, like, like if it's serious, we can go to Perko's or Bucko's or wherever-o's that you go to after church. I mean, I'm good with that too. So we can do that. Amen. Everybody said amen. amen. <laughs> told you, brother. You sure you want to pull that trigger, man? <laughs> I, I warned him. I warned him. All right. Any questions? Any questions? <laughs> There's never any questions. Never any questions. Okay. So I'm going to get a little serious. Look, I just a just word to the wise. If you're not sure, <laughs> I'm sure like 15 minutes or so, you're going to be, really? Did he say that? Are you sure he said it? Just look at Dina. She will give you the eye. He's serious. He's not serious. Just look back there. She'll kind of decode. Right? She'll give you the code. Mm -hmm. She won't give you the code. Right? If you see see her doing this, it's done in like 30 seconds. Amen. So, now, now, I'm not all crazy. I am a little bit serious. So, please, church, please, matter of fact, Mm. yeah Mm. okay so please be assured beloved that there are very very divine outcomes in the breach right jeremiah prophesied that god would send hunters and fishers now i realize that context is like really bad (laughs) if you read that chapter like it's bad god sends hunters it's not a good thing Right, but, but just let me use the phrase, because it's a beautiful phrase. I really believe that God is hunting tonight. That's not the title of my text. Did I put the title up there? Can I get the title? If, I think I wrote it down. But I think God has got some things in mind. And I won't wander around, beat the bush. We'll get it done or we'll get gone. Is that okay? Amen. Turn with me to Revelations chapter 4. And I'll start preaching. That, um, that wasn't on the clock. Sister Bailey, that wasn't on the clock. That's all free chicken. <laughs> it's free chicken. You didn't have to pay for that. Revelation chapter 4, when you're there, say amen. amen. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, <laughs> which said, come up hither. And I will show you things that must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. And he that sat on the throne was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow around about the throne in sight. Like unto an emerald. And around about the throne were four and twenty-four... Seats and on the seats were four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment and they had on their heads crowns and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was in the sea of glass like unto crystal. In the midst of the throne and all around about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. The four beasts had, each of them, six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And the rest, they rest night and day, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts gave glory... And honor and thanks unto him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever. Four and twenty elders fell down before him, and that sat on the throne, and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Casting their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Pastor, pray for us, please, that the Lord will help me. Amen. Please be seated. So let me, you're always supposed to tell them what you're going to tell them. So uh, tonight I want to open with a little bit of just science stuff, behavioral science stuff, and I want to, I want to look at us, right? I just want to give us a chance to kind of understand ourselves better. Then I want to explore some theological arguments to refamiliarize ourselves with how awesome God is. I mean, he's <laughs> awesome. And then I want to pivot to applying those two uh, uh, discussions to our daily lives, like 6.30 Monday or 14.30 Friday so that we can get more out of our religious experience I, I really really want us to just walk intentionally through this because I like I said I think God wants to do something for us unusual or different than we have normally seen so let's look at this humans are awesome in a lot of ways I believe that humans are really awesome the International Space Station for example is really cool been there a couple times and it was like really awesome and we, cannot believe nobody's paying attention i've never been there just so you know not paying attention babe let's go (laughs) i'm done this ain't gonna work just kidding sit down just kidding just kidding so i think they're awesome right people are awesome i really do i love people i think people are great I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't preach at anything anymore. I don't really preach against anything anymore. I'm like, oh, it's all cool, bro. Let's go. It's great. Because people are great, right? We bear the image of God. God created us in his image. He blew into us the breath of life. And we retain a part of that image. And that's a pretty good image. Like, I ain't got no griefs at all, right? I'm not handsome. I'm not pretty. I'm not really super smart. But I'm cool, man. And so that's all that matters. If you can't get it right, get it cool. And so I'm cool. So people are awesome. the other side of the coin is we're equally limited right we're we're equally uh, equally not so cool however not the least of which are intellectually and spiritually now don't think about your neighbor just pay attention to me don't talk about your husband. Don't think about your wife. When I say that, just pay attention to me. Right? We we have this this capacity uh, to think brilliant thoughts and then like five minutes later we like can't find our keys. <laughs> right? I mean, really. Like we get to, oh, that was a genius thing. I got to get up and write that down. And 15 minutes later we can't described mashed potatoes, right? It was this stuff, they make the mash, they put the butter in it, right? So we have these things. This is just what it is to be human. That plus the tendency to trust everything we think, Not a good idea. But we trust everything we think, and so it puts us in this precarious process of misunderstanding and misrepresenting. Misunderstanding, misrepresenting. Misunderstanding, and misrepresenting. And it's a dangerous cycle. It's a human cycle, but it's a very dangerous cycle. Now, please don't read ill motive into this at all. I'm not preaching at anything, I'm not preaching against anything, Uh, but reality resists simplicity. So certainty is always elusive. And misunderstanding everything to some degree is inevitable. The process, right, it relates to our understanding of, of math and science and marriage and money. But it also relates to our understanding of God. The idea that God is simple, while it may be comforting to us, it is not true. Let me be just straightforward about that. In actuality, God is a very complex subject. For example, our source material right? I can read the book. Well, can you? I always think that. Can you? Right? The book is ancient. It was written in three dead languages that we don't have any dictionary really for. It was spoken by societies long gone, buried in the sands of the Middle East. And misunderstanding, everything is inevitable, including God and the ways of God and the things God does things. Right? Our personal experiences play a role in this. Enculturation plays a huge part in this. And echoing these misperceptions. And God is always communicated by and through the social group we are born and raised in. The culture does a good job in a lot of ways. Good job in a lot of ways and not so great in other ways. Again, not of the emotive, just human, right? Our formative ideas of God always come along with our new birth origin story. I'm just going to leave that on the shelf a second. Because it's really important that we kind of understand where our ideas and things come from. Right? I really want to unpack that a minute. Right? This is a simple and normative part of socialization. So let me give you three examples. Personal experience. right? God looks very different to a new convert than he does to a third generation Pentecostal. Always looks really different. A woman saved from a history of abusive relationships will appreciate God as a loving male uh, role model or figure. A person saved from a life of addiction first finds in God a holy means of self-medication. You might have heard this. I'm addicted to God, man. No, you're not addicted to God. That's crazy. But it works for them. That's how they see and perceive God at the moment, right? Based on their experiences, right? Uh, I'm, uh, God is the big homie. Uh, To the former gangbangers that attend Victory Outreach down the road. Poor folks have always looked to God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Right? Let me give you some social inculturation. Right? I guarantee you the slave did not understand the plantation owner's God. I guarantee that. Right? Uh, The chaplains in the Army of the North... And the Army of the South ironically preached from the same Bible. Both the Irish Catholics and the British Anglicans prayed to the same God during the Irish Troubles in the 70s. So did the German Lutherans, the Spanish Catholics, and the French Huguenots in the Thirty Years' War. God wears cowboy boots in Texas. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I don't know. I just threw that out there, man. But he wears penny loafers in the Hamptons. And, and sweat, for sweater vests archives right so our personal experiences cause us to see god and god's things in certain ways and our social enculturation causes us to see god and god's uh, uh, god's ways and there's the religious enculturation lots of this stem from our religious upbringing right within 300 years of Jesus' ascension god was catholic and he spoke latin it's in the book read it right not this book not the book Right? Roughly 300 years after that, God developed a split personality torn between the Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox. Read it. God went through another major identity crisis during the Protestant Reformation, right? Within 300 years or so, Martin Luther nailed the thing on the door, right? These are my 99 griefs. And so within that, hundreds of groups claiming to be the Church of the Bible. Hundreds of groups claiming to be the Church of the Bible emerged into the world to tell the story of Jesus as they understood it. Examples, the Quakers, the Presbyterians, the Mennonites, the Baptists, and, of course, the Anabaptists, from whom Pentecost has uh, derived. First, fast forward. Now, fast forward 1,900 years, the early Holy Ghost revivals over that. So everybody's familiar with that, I'm assuming, right? You've preached that a couple times? Okay. Since then, over the last 120 years, God has become a dispensationalist for white Pentecostals and a means of deliverance from systematic racism for black ones. Right? He, The God of Topeka, Kansas and Susa Street has become responsible for the charismatic movement, the latter rain movement, and the church renewal movement. He wears long sleeves in conservative circles. He preaches against everything in ultra-conservative circles, but he has tattoos in hipster churches. Right? Our personal experiences, our social enculturation, our religious enculturation. It gives us these ideas. It gives us these pictures. It causes us to see things in certain ways. It causes us to expect and anticipate certain things. This is just a no. I'm not preaching against anything. I'm not mad at anything. Believe it or not, I'm not mad at anything or anybody. This is just human. I'm human. You're human. You're awesome. I told you you're awesome. But uh, sometimes we're not awesome. And this is one of those cases where we're not necessarily awesome. We hear something and we just say it. We think it and we just say it. It. And we put all kinds of stuff on God. I kind of want. I'm glad God's not offended easily because he probably pretty mad at the way I tell His story sometimes. <laughs> Misunderstanding, misrepresentation is a horrible, horrible thing. Right? Again, please don't read a motive into this. But experience and enculturation is normal. But the tendency is is disabling. It's very disabling. Very disabling. Because bad ideas lock people out of the possibilities and opportunities that only come with clarity. Some things only come for those and to those who actually know which way they're supposed to go. You can't make stuff up and get to the right outcomes. You cannot have a bad map and get to the right place. You can't have a wrong compass and get where you want to be. You've got to have good, clear ideas in the scripture. It's dangerous to just pill everything as God's story. All right. All right. All right. All right. Smell the coffee, blow out the candles. Thank you so much. So, the loss. The loss is summarized in the poem I abstracted my title from. I saw a cloud and thought it was the sky. I stepped into a puddle and thought it was the sea. I felt the breeze upon my cheek and mistook it for a hurricane. My perceptions distorted the realities of my possibilities at my expense. And this is so sad to me. Horribly sad. Horribly sad. This actually makes me mad. It makes me angry to see people living in ways they do not have to live. It makes me horribly sad and angry. Frustrated to my core to see people living beneath their potential. Without victory. Without vision. Without Purpose uh, because they don't see God with the right set of lenses. It's so unfortunate to see a cloud instead of the sky, the puddle, instead of the sea, the breeze, instead of the hurricane. Too often we live with things we don't need to live with when we misunderstand God. Misunderstanding God's timing or His purpose leads to frustration that can leave us feeling betrayed. I prayed. It didn't happen. I prayed. It didn't happen. I came down and prayed. It didn't happen. They sh- she almost shade me. It didn't happen. It's invariable. I'm going to be betrayed and feel that way at some point in time. You can't live that way for 10, 15 years and go home to a bad marriage and a broken family and no potential and sadness and think that's going to work. You got listen. Maybe you won't. Maybe you could. I mean, I'm gonna be angry at that. See, oftentimes anxiety, frustration, and disappointment are where righteousness, peace, and joy are supposed to be because of misunderstanding. Misunderstanding dooms us to a repetitive religious process and routine without any real spiritual outcomes. Time, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. I come to church. I pay my tithes. I do what I'm supposed to do and behavioral compliance substitutes for joy unspeakable and full of glory. And then when something happens and my train gets off the track, they don't find me. Oh, he was offended. Oh, she just didn't love God like the rest of us. No, I'm telling you, there's something dangerous about bad ideas. There's practical implications of this, right? There's To these spiritual deficits, marriages never really look right. They never really feel right. Families just can't seem to get settled into a loving and affirming lifestyle. Healthy stability never really happens, so the family is struggling economically and never able to build generational wealth. Children leave the church experience they grew up in. Grandkids grow up never knowing God in any appreciable way. And see, I, I'm different because I don't want to bypass those kind of things. I just go at them things, Sister Mullins. I'll be honest with you, I just go looking for that stuff. I only you get to preach like, listen, I preached everything I know last week, or half of what I know last week, I'll preach everything I know this week, so you don't have to endure this anymore. But I don't want to bypass things. I don't want us to just cover things up. People are hurting. People are sad. People are worried. People are anxious. And there is no amount of singing and shouting. I've done it for years. I know. Sometime I've got to have an answer. I need a good idea about something. You want me to stop? You sure? Okay. See, these spiritual deficits, they do contribute to psychological distress. There is a relationship between my spirituality and my psychology. right? There, there are practical implications of being unwell in my soul relationship suffers. Esteem and self-confidence suffer. Purposefulness suffers. So I turn to self-medicating behaviors to distract myself from how uncomfortable I feel inside. That's what we do. But we will sing and shout and dance about. And then Monday evening, we're, we're, we're on the phone. And Tuesday evening, we're on the phone. And Wednesday evening, we're on the phone. I don't want to bypass that. I want to stop and settle there a second. This is so unnecessary. It's so sad. My, my heart breaks to see people. Uh, so, having exposed it tonight, I want to take a shot at it. Will you let me take a shot at it? Is that okay? I right, haven't exposed it. I, I think the word of the Lord in the text I read, I think they offer us some kind of intervention just in case, just in case uh, anybody might be hurting with this, right? So let me, let me get through some of this, and I think you'll see that Revelation chapter 4 does provide us something unique and different. So, all right, let there be no doubt. We're done with that, pivoting. Let there be no doubt. The only thing God cannot do are the things that he will not do because of his moral compass or his better judgment. God's just, I prayed a lot of prayers, Pastor, and I know said, sorry, dude, that one ain't happening. I know better than that, right? Ah, no, don't ask me that again, right? And I prayed him, I prayed him again. He said every time, mm, Nah, not going to do that. The only thing God cannot do though is what he will not do. God is great and greatly to be praised. Beloved, don't misunderstand this guy tonight. He's kind of crazy and he looks ridiculous but I am sure of this. God is great. He's greater than sin. He's greater than sickness. He's greater than sadness. He's greater than wickedness. He's greater than the pump. I'm sure of that. Huh. Got what I got. Right, these common characteristics of God, we hear words like omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent. They simply reflect the edges of His majesty. Those are the edges that our finite mind can wrap themselves around. But God, within His perfect completion, is beyond contingency, He's beyond necessity, He's beyond perceptibility. There is no one and nothing like our God. Yes. Put it in the bank. Contingency is the need or the dependence on something. God did not get up and need me. God did not get up and need the church. God did not up and get, need, the, need money. He doesn't need anything. God does not need. Let's be clear about that. But God is the great necessity. Everything needs God. You don't breathe without God. You don't walk without God. The bird doesn't sing without God. He opens everything by the word of his power. If it is, it is because God is gracious and good. And men, God cannot really be understood. Our brains are just not. And I've studied the brain a lot. Please be seated. Please relax. I'm going to need you later. Please sit down relax. Relax, 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 relax. Right so let me give you three arguments. I'm gonna argue that God over the natural world, God over human authority, and God as self-disclosure. So, so let's look at Psalms. Psalms 104. There's very few books as poetically beautiful as Psalms. And he said, Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with majesty and splendor. You wrap yourself in light as if it were a robe spreading out the sky like a canopy, laying the beams of his palace on waters above, making the cloud his chariot walking on the wings of the wind. I didn't know wind wind had wings but I know it now and so I want to submit to you that God has earthquake power the passage becomes heavier and denser when we consider the incredible forces that work in nature for instance the hydrodynamics of water atmospheric conditions the meteorological function of the wind see all of these things are beneath God These things that are uncontrollably and devastatingly uncontrollable to us are simple elements that God conforms to his pleasure. That's how great God is. The hurricane is a tool. Lightning is a function. Light moving at 168 miles a second takes shape as God's outer garment. I look good in light while we are thoroughly dependent on what happens within this shared biosphere called earth God is completely and wholly superior to them let me present a couple the human brain the brain is indistributably the most complex thing in the human world I love the brain study the brain touch the brain human tissue brains not dense very soft squishy similar to the consistency of tofu you'll never eat tofu the same you're welcome comprises about two percent of the body's weight, but it burns up about twenty percent of the body's energy and oxygen. Little bit about eight-pound mass takes twenty percent of your oxygen. That's why when you guys are worshiping so hard up here, like you get light, lightheaded, like you really lightheaded. Somebody they're not they're not doing this because they feel the Holy Ghost. The oxygen is not in their brain, man. And you know I'm telling the truth, somebody. <laughs> right? Your brain will generate 20 watts of electricity. That's enough to lamp or light a little bulb, right? The brain, uh, a, a soda bottle of soda of blood goes through your brain like every minute. It's the most dynamic and active thing uh, in the known cosmos. Right? The latest estimate is that the brain contains roughly 100 billion neurons. So that number, I looked at that number and said, yeah, okay. Uh, I'm gonna have to do something with that. That hundred billion neurons. That's that number right there. All right, the neurons are linked to as many as fifty trillion connections called synapses. That's that number right there. A piece of brain tissue the size of a grain of sand can contain 100,000 neurons responsible to up to 1 billion synapses. Each neuron can transmit 10,000 nerve impulses per second and make as many as 10,000 synaptic contacts within that same second. The brain uh, information travels at 268 miles an hour. It is so fast. Your brain can process an image that your eyes have seen for as little as 13 milliseconds. You've seen it before you blinked. Your brain got it. The human brain is capable of 10 to the 16th power of processes. This is at least 30 times more powerful than IBM Sequoia and Japan's K computer. To understand that better, consider the IBM Sequoia took 40 minutes to duplicate one second's worth of brain activity. One second. Your brain storage capacity is considered virtually unlimited. It doesn't get used up like RAM in your computer. It just has a way of coding and recycling and coding and reorganizing. The latest research shows that brain memory capacity is in a petabyte range. If you're wondering what a petabyte range is, the internet is a petabyte. And I know some of your parents are thinking, man, my kid did not get that brain. And there's probably some kids thinking, <laughs> I don't think so, bro. <laughs> now, <laughs> this is all possible because coded into human DNA are very specific instructions to very specific cells. Any cell can become any type of tissue except brain Cells. They will only become brain cells and they will wait until. A necessary pathway is made by other cells to move towards the brain. Dear Sister Periot, right now, your little baby baby's brain is getting stitched together. One little brain tissue or one little cell at a time. And that little brain cell may form in its foot. And it will move up its foot and move up its leg until a nerve makes a way that it can go further. It will go up. It will not stop. It will just wait. until. This is why God is great. Because the most amazing thing in the universe, the Bible said, You formed me, my inward parts, you knitted me together. In my mother's womb, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My frame was not hit from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed substance and you wrote them in a book. Example number two, nuclear energy. Fusion and fission are the two physical processes that produce massive amounts of energy from the atom, right, they yield millions of times more energy than the other source, fusion is the more powerful of the two, don't mess with that it's fusion, fusion occurs when two atoms slam together to form something more, right Uh, this is the process that powers the sun, this is for you comic book nerds, this is the process supposedly behind Iron Man's arc reactor (laughs) whatever, right the easiest way to understand this is bombs sadly the easiest way to understand fusion power is bombs power of bombs right the greatest largest bomb ever exploded was the Tsar bomb dirty Russians it was tested on 30 October 1961 data suggests the bomb yielded between 50 and 58 megaton for reference one megaton weapon has the energy equivalent of 1 million tons of TNT so this bomb had the explosive energy of 50 to 58 million tons of TNT now, by comparison, Sister Mullins, the sun fuses six hundred and twenty million metric tons—six hundred and twenty million tons of hydrogen—and makes six hundred sixteen million metric tons of helium every second. One fifty, 50 megaton for us; six hundred and twenty million megaton for God. The sun is the far largest object, right? In the solar system, about one million earths could fit inside the sun. So what is it? It has fused at this rate for nearly 50 billion years, pastor. And will continue the fusion process at this rate for another 50 billion. Let me just drop this theological thing on y'all. to Consider all you preachers, all you theologians out here. There is enough energy production for millions of new heavens and new earths. God could have done this millions of times. And He could do it millions of times again before the Milky Way exhausts its power source. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of heaven, right? And God saw that it was good. And the sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course. How come we just don't die? Because God set the sun a perfect distance from the earth and put all the rest of the solar system around it to shield it so that we would get the adequate amount of gamma rays and the adequate amount of heat and the adequate amount of energy. Second argument, history is replete with dynastic families. God saved the queen. Dynasties have been a feature in human history forever. Right, I'll give you some examples. The Brits have had 21. The Chinese have had 17. The French, 20. India has had the most dynasties, 42. Japan has had the longest lasting. The Yamato dynasty lasted from 660 BC to 781. The power and authority held by these dynasties is really in the material world unparalleled. Right, common names, Two-ton common. Anybody seen that guy? Coup. Cool. Coop had lunch with him last week. Alexander and Cleopatra. Caesar, Augustine, Nero, Charlemagne, Louis the Sixteenth, Bonaparte, the Russians had the Roman Chinese had the Ming, the Ottomans had the Mehmed, Israel, even Israel's had some dynasties. Right. The power and authority held by these dynasties, unparalleled, but they had a shelf life. All gone. They're dead. they're dead archaeological relics we go dig them up go look at them yet God remains let's clarify the real geopolitical arrangement kingship belongs to the Lord he rules the nation right. Psalm 47 because God is king of the whole earth God reigns over the nation tells all the nations belong to the Lord simple consequence of God's eternal existence This is what really blows my mind, Pastor. There has never been a moment of time where God was not. (laughs) What? We're linear. We're time-locked. Time means nothing to God. Right? God has watched every second of all human history in real time. He knew it would happen and he watched it unfold according to his plan. He was present at every great event and every small one. He witnessed every volcanic eruption. He watched the birth of every blue whale. He saw Columbus sail away. He watched the Norman conquest of Great Britain. He was there when they laid the cornerstone of the Great Pyramid in Egypt. He never missed a sunrise or a sunset ever. God has never missed the birds flying south. He has never missed the first blossoms of spring. Anywhere. God has been present for every new moon. God was present when Joan of Arc marched to Orleans. God was there when Constantinople fell to the tart. God knew it and God saw it. That just blows my mind. As somebody who loves science and history, I cannot understand. I cannot wrap my mind around how amazingly great God must be beyond what I can even think. Right. He was present in all these Lord, you've been our refuge for every generation. Before the mountains were born, you were there. The third argument is God's self-disclosure. May I borrow that chair? Please. Thank you, sir. I, if I break it, Sister Mullins, I'll fix it. Sister Mullins, are you what in the world, dude? How are you doing it, bro? Did you get that Authorized. so this is the best argument for God's description Job see this is a man accustomed to authority and authority and power that came with wealth right so put yourself in this guy's shoes few passages in the Bible reflect such high theater you know it is getting serious when God asks you to take a seat that's what he said right let me dramatize this with a little object lesson Job come here dude and I thought about this. I thought about this. How did God say it? Like, did God say, Job, 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 Job. Come here, Job. Dude, come on. We got to talk, Job. Was it that way? Was, was God, was this kind of a, like an exasperated father? Like, oh, for crying out loud, knuckleheads. I'm reading the text, and I'm just surmising, but I'm kind of thinking this is a wearied, offended kind of God. And the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. He said, Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorance? Words When God starts that way, it can't necessarily be like a loving father trying to get down with you. I don't think there's a lot of reason here, right? He said, Job, you're going to talk to me like a man. Since you t- you look at you and your friends, the cl- I'm tired of the clown show, Job. That's why I think God was, I'm tired of the clown show. He said, Job, where were you when I established the earth? Tell me, were you there? Did you see it? said, Job, who fixed the dimensions? Certainly you know Job, who sets the measuring line across it. What supports its foundation? Who laid the cornerstone? Job! I didn't think so. Job, who closed the sea behind the doors when it burst from the womb. When I made the clouds, its garment in total darkness, its blanket. When I determined its boundaries and put bars and doors in place. Job 40 said, then the Lord answered Job again, like it wasn't enough the first time. God circled back. Had to get rid of all Job's preconceived ideas about himself and and God. Get ready. Answer me again, Job. When I question you, you will inform me, Job. Would you really challenge my justice? Would you declare me guilty to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like mine? Adorn yourself with majesty and splendor, Job. Clothe yourself with honor and glory. Pour out your raging anger. Look on proud persons and humiliate them. Then I will confess to you that your own hand can deliver you. The greatest of all God's disclosure is the man Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm thankful for the man Jesus Christ. Centuries later, the virgin conceived and brought forth a son, and we call his name Emmanuel God with us. The man Christ Jesus materially exhibited the power and authority he described in Job. Go back and look. The harmony of the gospel reveals Jesus exercising power and authority over the natural spiritual world 37 times. He healed the sick at least 16 times. He raised the dead at least 3 times. He broke the physical laws of nature in other ways like walking on water, turning water into wine at least 8 times. I say at least because John records something very important in the last part of his, uh, his gospel. And there are also many other things that Jesus did which if he, every one of them were to be written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books. So, We have looked at the human liability of misunderstanding, misrepresenting, and we've considered and looked at the horrible consequences of that. And then we've juxtaposed that against how great God is. So let me circle back to our text in Revelation chapter 14. John on the island of Patmos. He has just written letters to the churches in Asia Minor. And there he's discussed all kinds of things. And the scripture said that he was in the Lord's day and he looked. Heard something and he looked. And he turned around and he saw a door open in heaven. And I think this is an invitation for an insider's view of things. I think that's what this is. See, I get a lot wrong. I probably got some of it wrong tonight. Everyone does. To err is human. It is rarely a matter of motive though. We just get it wrong. It's just human. But beloved God never misrepresents himself. <laughs> and John's experience in Revelation 4 reflects God's invitation to us for an insider view God knew humans would always struggle with this misunderstand, misrepresent process, he saw through the eons of time that I would misunderstand and misrepresent and so somebody would believe a bad idea and they would try to live that bad idea because I told them to live that bad idea and they would be frustrated and upset with me, God knew that was going to be the case, God knew that the churches would have all kinds of different crazies come along and come and go God knew that was God knew he could not trust the accuracy of the gospel or the accuracy of the message to us not not apostolics not Pentecostal not Anglicans God knew mm, they're all going to kind of mess this up because they're great but they're not so great so God decided I'm not going to let you mess it up too long before I give you a chance to see things from the inside from my perspective I see a door in heaven hey John come here John come here John sounds something like Job he said John Come here. I think this is a different voice. Moses, I think for Job, God said, come here, Job. Like you talked. I don't think that's the voice here. I think God said, hey, hey, come come here. Come here, buddy. I want to show you something. See, I'm going to start preaching now. I'm in the book. See, Revelations 4, beloved, reflects a real place. It's an actual place that represents an immaterial, eternal space. It is just as real as the air you're breathing and the clothes you're wearing. And our experience with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the spiritual life we enjoy enable us to access this reality and get an insider's view of things while we uh, are, are, are in trouble while we are struggling just like John did and I want to be very deliberate and clear about this uh, because being in the spirit and being where this passage is describing is not the same thing okay being in the spirit is common for Pentecostal folks y'all do it all the time right y'all break out in shout and like in a heartbeat you guys got that part that's not what the Bible is describing there's something on the other side of the door or there wouldn't be a door right Right. but going through the door to experience interact with what is on the other side of the door is not so common and I'm being really careful and deliberate with this because I understand I'm saying things to you and some of you are like whoa Whoa, And sorry, relax, easy, easy, Ranger, we're okay, I'm still in the book, I got an idea where we're going, listen, God is asking some folks, and he's inviting some folks with conditions, and with disappointments, and with frustrations, and with mental heart issues, and emotional distress, God is asking for people, he's inviting some people, hey, I know the world looks dark, and scary, and ugly, and I know you might be frustrated, and betrayed, and you might be anxious, and you not, might not be sure. Sh- sure but I got this wonderful open door and there's things up there that you are just dying to see trust me you want to see this it reflects an entirely different place than Sunday night church in Beko Isaiah 6 is a reference to the open door see you said you preached on that last week so that's why I wrote this whole sermon because you said that The third heaven, Paul described in 2 Corinthians 12, is another. I want to be hopeful but careful with this because being on the precipice of something this dynamically potent can be precarious to the uninitiated. See, let me characterize it. John, John, in case you ever mistake me as a Jewish god, or a customized Greco-Roman God. Come on up for an insider's view of things, John. John, don't misunderstand. There's more to this than church services, Sardis. There's more than this than church trouble in Laodicea. There's more to this than outreach and tire tire or prayer meeting in Smyrna. John, don't misunderstand, John. I cannot be compartmentalized. I cannot be contextualized. There are things about me and there are things about the way I do things that will not fit your picture. They won't fit your box. They won't fit your culture. They will not fit your experience. So you got to come here, John, and look for yourself. let me be clear John I am on a celestial eternal throne existing in dimensions you cannot physically even survive you can't breathe here John you can't breathe here bro hold up right John causality doesn't mean the same thing here we don't have clocks here distance means nothing here John I know you're worried about the doctrine of Balaam and Pergamus. I know you're worried about the woman prophetess and time, Tyre Tyre, but those are non-issues here John relax John Don't ever mistake me for a cloud. Don't ever mistake me for a puddle. Don't ever mistake me for the wind. There are forces at work here, John, you cannot possibly compute. Ephesians chapter 2. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him. Uh oh. And seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace the kindness of Jesus Christ. That's why people who have no victory, that's so sad. Marriages are broke, they're bad, they don't work, that's so sad. Going home at night and not liking yourself, hating the way you look, hating the way you sound, being worried about what's going to happen to you, worried about what's going to happen to your family, that's just bad. It's just the wrong deal. It's the wrong way to go. It's just terrible. it's not congruent with heavenly places and seeing with Jesus. There's so much more to this partnership with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues than salvation. I think historically, in our urgent, here's another theology thing. Write this down, folks. You'll want to write this down. I think historically in our urgency for right dogma about salvation we have inadvertently left ourselves with poor theology about a spirit led life. You got to speak in tongues! To be saved. Probably do. Missing the point. I think our traditional emphasis on people speaking in tongues as evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost may have come at the expense of an adequate biblical explanation about what happens after that every day for the rest of their life this is incredibly sad sad and inconsequential knowledge gap the door in heaven is just one amazing advantage everything feels differently there everything feels different there things make more sense there the future reshapes itself there So does the past. We feel different after we've been there about people, about things, about ourselves. Most importantly, we come back different people. Clarity about God forces clarity onto everything else. Everything else feels small and manageable after I have seen the face of the God with whom I have to do. Everything. One visit doesn't change everything, but a series of them will. People can unlock their potential for victory there. People can find vision and purpose for their life there. A series of directed visits can displace anxiety, frustration, disappointment. Religious repetition is replaced with profound outcomes after a series of visits. It's a perfect place to start dwelling and dealing with the practical implications of deficit. Anything can be different here because everything is different there. Everything. Practical example, then I'll let you go. You want me to finish? You to finish? The vote is yours. I'll finish, okay. <laughs> People in the back say, ask me, lunatic, ask me. <laughs> this is why I don't get invited back. Of, this is it right here. So, so I'll give you this practical example. This is an amazing example. So, when I was in Cuba, the, the, the Coasties would take me out for a seashore patrol. And they had those really cool boats, like, you know, those, those fast attack boats, like, cool boats, guns everywhere. Right? Turn over upside down, they write themselves in the surf. It's like awesome. Like, you feel pretty good. <clears throat> and they're great. They love the chaplain, so they let me drive the boat, like, fish off the boat, whatever. And he said, hey, Chappie, come here. I want to show you something. Cool. So, so the captain of the boat, there's always a captain, right? The captain of the boat told the coxswain, the driver of the boat, he said, hey, take him to the spot. Take Chappie to the spot. So they took me to the spot. He said, Chappie, look. They, t- they turned off the engine. Killed the engine. said, look, check this out. He said, just stand right here. Chap-. And, they st- and right here, there's a range finder and a depth finder. So you can see how far away the bad guys are. And then you can see how much water that is beneath you right? And I saw on the thing it was 166. 166. I said 166 feet. He said, Chapman, you're a genius. Thank you very much. So we're bobbing in the water, right? And the water would take us in. And then something interesting happened. But when the tide would move out, because there's this big sheer rock face, right? Uh, the Caribbean is not uh, is not volcan- It's not volcanoes. It's it's earthquake. That's where all those islands came from. They're earthquake islands, right? And so we had these big massive shears. And so the tide would come in, and so our boat would push towards the shore, right? But when the tide would go out, our boat would push towards the sea. And and the 166 went off the off the depth finder, and it went blank. Dot dot. Whoa, bro. What's up? He said, wait for it, chaps. Okay. So, so, the I'd pop a Coke. I'm waiting for it. The water comes back. Shh. 166 came back. 166 feet. Cool. Mm-hmm. Wait for it, chaps. Story's not over. <laughs> Beloved, story's not over. So, the water would move back. push me back to sea. And the blank lines. I said, what's that all about? He said, well, chaps, when you were here... When you're here, it's 166 feet to the f- bottom uh, of the shelf. <laughs> when you're here, we don't know where the bottom is. 166. And for a moment, I was like, cool. And so I prayed. I have, a, I have an imaginative prayer life. And so I prayed. And I took all my battle rhythm off, all my gear off, all the stuff that makes me look intimidating and scary. Ugh. I dangled my feet over the side of that boat in an unfathomable amount of water and see that's the difference between good church on Sunday night and the place described in Revelation chapter 4 (laughs) It's just not the same we've got accustomed to thinking at good church and I did it I did it for years I did it for years and I felt like I had this H-O show. hey Ronnie You've not seen anything yet, dude. How do you compute beasts with eyes before and behind? John, you don't even have words to describe what you're looking at, man. You understand? That's That's what was happening. John is just looking at stuff. He has no idea what he's looking at. He just used words because that was the closest thing he could conceptualize. Because you can't go to where Jesus lives and, and, and make sense there with the stuff in our brains. It just doesn't work. That's why Revelations is a, such a mysterious book. God, like the whole time we get all worried about that book, God's like, don't worry about that book, bro. You can't figure that book out. Relax, dude. Go preach the gospel. Sister Mullins, come save him. About done. So, somebody have to save you later yes, sir. so I think I think this is what it is in summary I don't want to bypass things in Pentecost anymore no more I, I cannot I cannot there's all kinds of preachers and all kinds of voices and we need all kinds of voices because there's all kinds of people personally I cannot bypass stuff I gotta stop I gotta stop and talk to people I gotta stop and talk to stuff Listen, it's not a competition. We're all crazy. Right? Relax. But Brother Cranch, you don't know what I did. (laughs) Relax. You don't know what I've done. Like I've only killed like six people in my life. There's not a lot of bodies to stack. You're only wondering if that's half true. I'll tell you later. Right? Listen, I don't want to bypass that stuff. Because we can only bypass it so long, Brother McGee, before they are no longer here. And it's called religious trauma. It's called church trauma. It's a real thing. Get the book. It's a real thing. Oh, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Like really pretty strong. Bypass stuff. Because it's so unnecessary. No beautiful young Pentecostal ladies need to hate themselves. No good, faithful young boys need to wonder about what life is gonna be. Am I gonna count? Am I gonna matter? I don't want, I don't want no more kids leaving Pentecost because mom and dad told them a crazy story. There's just some folks here. I could be totally wrong, might miss it, but I think there's folks bobbing in the the ocean of God's grace between 166 in an unfathomable experience. And everything will look different. Whew. Well I had good church, yeah, but did you get what you needed? have had a good church have but do you feel different about yourself so let me let me give you one more thing you still want me to finish i don't have my glasses on so i'm going to trust that you said yes <laughs> so i'm gonna give you one more encouraging word uh, to help you this is the most amazing miracle i have ever read about and i've seen i'm thankful i have seen my own this is the most incredible one. I will not probably not be able to get through this. No matter how many times I've read this, how oh many times I preached this, Sister McGee, this always gets me because God breaks every rule with this. This is a, a a lady physician from Ireland who's an Anglican doing medical missionary in the Belgian-held Congo in the 1950s. She had no business doing miracles, Brother McGee. She's not apostolic does his own thing when we go get that God does not ask for our permission he just does what he wants so one night in central Africa I would work hard to help a mother in the labor ward but in spite of all that we could do she died leaving us a tiny premature baby and a crying two year old daughter We would have difficulty keeping the baby alive. We had no incubators. We had no electricity to run an incubator. No special feeding facilities. And although we lived on the equator, nights often become chilly with treacherous drafts. Student midwife went for a box where we had kept the babies and bottles and cotton to help the babies with. And she went to stoke a fire and fill the hot water bottle. She came back shortly in distress (laughs) to tell me that the water bottle broke rubber perishes easily in tropical climates it was our last water bottle
1: as in the west
0: it's no good crying over spilled milk so in central africa it might be considered no good crying over a burst water bottle they don't grow on trees and there's no drug stores down forest pathways I said put the baby near the fire as safely as you can sleep between the baby and the door and keep it free from draft the job is to keep the baby warm through the night the following noon as I did most days I went to have prayer with the mini orphanage children who choose to gather with me and I give the youngsters various suggestions of things to pray about and I told them about the baby explained our problem about keeping the baby warm and mentioned the hot water bottle baby could easily die I said if it got chilled I told them about the two year old daughter during the prayer time one ten year old girl her name was Ruth prayed with the usual bluntness of African children please God send us a water bottle it'll be no good tomorrow and she added my corollary and while you are about it please send her a dolly so she knows that you really love her as often with children's prayer I was put on the spot could I honestly say amen I just did not believe that God could do this. Yes, I know what the Bible says. I know what the theology said. But there were limits, aren't there? The only way God could answer this particular prayer would be by sending me a parcel from the homeland. I'd been in Africa for four years at that time. And I had never received a parcel from home. Anyways, if someone did send a parcel, who would send a hot water bottle to the equator? Halfway through the afternoon while I was teaching in the nursing training school, a message was sent. There's a car at your front door. God just breaks the rules when He needs to. By time I reached the home, the car had gone, but there on the veranda was a large twenty-two-pound parcel. I felt tears pricking my eyes. I could not open the parcel alone, so I sent for the children. Together we pulled off the string and carefully undoing each knot, folded the paper, taking care not to tear it unduly. Excitement was mounting. So Thirty or forty pairs of eyes were on me at this time. Excuse me, I'm so sorry from the top I lifted out bright colored knitted jerseys I sparkled as I gave them out then there was knitted bandages for leprosy patient children began to look a little bored next came a box of raisins and sultanas that we would make a nice batch of buns for the weekend as I put my hand in again ah cue the cool music So I reached in again could it really be it and pulled it out yes a brand new rubber hot water bottle I had not asked for God to send it I could barely believe that God would send it Ruth believed she was in the front row of the children she rushed forward crying out if God sent the bottle he certainly sent the dolly Rummaging down to the bottom of the box. She pulls out a dolly. Pretty bows and a pink dress. Looking up, she said, can I go with you, mommy, and give this dolly to that little girl? So she knows that Jesus really loves her. That parcel had been on the way five months Packed up by my formal Sunday school class whose leader had heard and obeyed God's prompting to send a hot water bottle even to the equator. Would you stand? Those of you who may have been to the inside of the door, would you just raise your hands with me a minute? Let's just kinda of set this thing up for for the hot water bottle of God to get involved here. I'm not going to make a big fanfare of this. You know, I'm talking to you. (laughs) Dear God Almighty. I'm just wondering. Anybody like to do more than have good church tonight? It's not wrong, good church. I'm glad for a good church, but there is some desperate hearts. I told you I was going to hunt. I'm going to hunt. Come on, beloved, please. Please. Don't go home with it. Please. Don't go home with it. Don't go home without an assurance. Don't go home without a peace. Don't go home without a calm. Don't go home without. Come here, John come a little higher. Let me show you things that must be Come on, John. 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 Folks, I'll just wait a few more minutes. I mean, i will going to wait just a couple more minutes. I'm not in a hurry. I'll leave. I promise. But I just don't want to bypass anything.